Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 76 movies, one cage. Today's movie is Stolen from 2012. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, returning guest, one of our favorite, Zach Dazan. Hello, Zach. Hey. How are you? I can't complain. It's been a nice day. So this movie is... What was the last movie that you were on for? Next. How does this compare... Because they're similar in ways, but also kind of different. How does this compare to you, or compare to Next for you? Um, I, I feel like it put, I put it in the same category of Next in terms of movies that are kind of bad. And this one's worse than Next in a lot of ways. But also, like, competent. Like, like the people who did it went to film school and managed to make sure to hit all the beats. And, you know, didn't fuck up in terms of, like, like to the level that, say, oh, Tommy Wiseau might. But it's definitely a bad movie. <laughs> But it's also kind of fun. Like we, I don't think there's any this. Like I don't think any of us are going to argue that it's a good movie. Right. And it's not like you know the worst of the worst, like The Room. If you're mentioning Tommy Wiseau, but yeah. it's it's a movie that's just I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know if it's like hacky or cliched or what. But there's an excitement and there's just like fun to be had. Yeah. In an otherwise pretty sort of generic, weird, not great movie. I think generic's just the word for it. Like they didn't. No one fell on their face except for maybe the writer. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it it is. And this movie is... I Yeah, I definitely loved this movie. <laughs> I had so much oh, yeah? fun watching it. But, you know, not because it's a great film. It's bad but competent in a weird, strange way that... I don't know. I feel like they nailed that thing that The Wicker Man was trying to go for, where they all seem to know they're not making anything great. This is just going to be lost in the line of another bunch of caper films that just fall straight to video on demand. And if you're lucky enough to see this, though, like, I just had a a blast. I think part of it is the soundtrack. It just sounds like Robert Rodriguez scored this or something, and it just gave me like a giddy sense of energy throughout the entire film. <laughs> oh my god, the soundtrack. That, it sounded like uh, they, they ordered one song, and then they just didn't have budget for more than others. It, yeah, uh, and, and there's like some strange MIDI-sounding horns going on, <laughs> and like this rock and roll guitar, and uh, you know, creeping bass line. It just felt, I don't know, it just made it more fun for me and yeah i did not take this seriously in the least yeah no i don't think anyone on the project did i, I just, like the, i will say like the cinematography was kind of just dynamic and very competent it, they the, the music actually took me out of it a lot i was just like every time that theme came back up i was like oh yeah they hired someone and they didn't pay him enough or they paid the wrong guy the way that i sort of described the music to myself or wrote it down my notes is it's sort of like bad 1960s spy movie yeah. music kind of like it's just sort of like here's a caper like we're, we're just getting we're, we're having some fun like look at these guys you yeah. know stealing some stuff and doing things and moving around and look at look at them go and they're driving cars and they're robbing banks and they're doing all this different stuff it's, it's, it's almost like a 1960s like TV show sort of yeah I wrote Mission Impossible plus James Bond plus Las Vegas <laughs> I think that's a very good sort of trifecta way, way to describe it. <laughs> this movie is, once again, for the third time in recent memory, a movie that seems like it's straight to video, but did have a theatrical release. Oh, man. <laughs> Still having We gone. missed it. Still having 100, gone straight 141 down. screens. It made $183,000 its <laughs> opening weekend, oh, and a total of 304000 for its run. Whoa. Now, here's a fun game we could play. If neither of you know, how much do you think this movie cost to make? Huh. 
10 million. <laughs> well, I got to confess, I, I searched for behind the scenes footage and noticed that they were shooting with a drone camera. So that on everything? That's gonna, not, I don't know. I know they I, I watched them film a car crash with a drone. So uh, uh, I, I'm going to say they had, you know, something like 10 million dollars to throw around. So you're both saying 10 million? Yeah. Oh, he said 10. Is t- oh, oh, he said 10. I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to say they had... Yeah, I'm going to go with 10, too. 10 million and one. $35 million. Yikes. That, they yeah. took a bath. Ew, it, like, there, there are good action scenes in this. Like, the, er, like in the uh, before the time jump, when Cage is in the cop car, and they're, like, driving through that parking deck. I don't know if it's, you know, $35 million good, but it feels kind of like a big-budget movie. Oh, you yeah. know, like, there's cars jumping around, cars jumping over things chases sort of like little scrapes and dents and accidents and it's cool like it's exciting like there's stuff here oh yeah but i just don't know where that 35 million well, what percentage went to cage's salary i don't think i don't know how much he's really making around well at this point if he's doing this know. to pay off his tax debt he better be getting paid well you would <laughs> hope so I, I mean the one thing you can't help but notice watching the rest of this film is that they filmed during Fat Tuesday, apparently, right? So right. I have a feeling a lot of money went to sort of secure the security or the rights or, you know, whatever they needed to get the permission to do such a thing. There's a big stunt towards the end. I was very surprised where they, how far the stunt got at the end. This also feels, I don't know if it's entirely true, but it feels like they shot this on digital. So they might have had to go out and like buy or rent all new digital equipment and, you know, storage devices and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's not necessarily true. Cheap either. No, it's cheaper than film, but uh, uh, this is another movie that I mean. I just want to mention real quick that this is another movie that Mike that Mike sort of alluded to in that it's another New Orleans movie that it's set you know during Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Tax breaks. Tax breaks. Uh, this is like I don't know, maybe the fifth or sixth or seventh Cage movie in New Orleans. I mean, we were just down here a couple movies ago for Seeking Justice. Yeah. I mean, we know that Cage lived in New Orleans. We know that he's sort of fond of the city. I don't know if that's necessarily his choice, or I know that a lot of movies, you know, like Zach just mentioned, New Orleans and Louisiana, and that's a hot place to shoot movies right now because they're just throwing money at Hollywood to get people to film there. Yeah. Um, so I think, I'm sure that has something to do with it, but it just, it's cool that, you know, even before New Orleans and Louisiana were in vogue, we still had Cage there for Wild at Heart and Zondali and all these other movies, and now it just keeps popping up again and again. Yeah, that was my first thought when I saw it, and I was just like, knowing the quality of this movie, uh, going into it, knowing like everyone's financial situation, I saw New Orleans, and I was like, ah, tax breaks. But at least they made it a part of the movie. Though, okay, so you, you mentioned it's, it's during Mardi Gras. One of the first things that really stood out to me, well, I guess it grew on me as we went along, Everybody says Fat Tuesday. The words Mardi Gras are not mentioned once in this movie. Everybody's on the <laughs> same page in, in calling it Fat Tuesday. Is that a locals thing? Is that like calling it SF or San Fran or Frisco? Well, Fat Tuesday is just like the kickoff. I think it's like the official kickoff. I mean, okay, so here's a good question. I have no idea what the answer is. How long does this movie take place after the eight-year time jump? Is this all on one day? Yeah, I think so. it's one day. It's the so day that's he why gets they keep calling it Fat Tuesday, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's insane. Yeah, it's great, and I didn't even realize it until you just said it. But it makes <laughs> it so much more crazy. It's like Wet Hot American Summer. Well, it's like the longest day of the year, and then it just like when it cuts to night, it's night for like no time whatsoever. I mean, it's just crazy the way the, the Earth is rotating on this specific <laughs> Fat Tuesday. Maybe that's why they keep calling it Fat Tuesday because it's the day. You know, it's not like I don't. I have no Mardi idea. Gras, there's there's, there's no real other comparison. I mean, it's just it's well. There's the other thing is they also there's two or three moments where they call a psychologist a shrink, and it's different characters each time. It's like 
uh, those two words, the Fat Tuesday and Shrink, made me think that like the writer forgot to make characters use different vocabularies. Well, I mean, we get the uh, cab dispatcher who seems completely authentic and must have changed it to his own dialogue. I mean, we get we get an authentic who dat too, right? <laughs> I got the yeah. film, the cab dispatcher like improvised a lot. I feel like they loved him on set and they just let him <laughs> do whatever because he was just the most fun person to be around. Sorry, I feel I like he bad. was really there. Like they just, you know, we need to film here for a couple hours. Why don't you be in our movie? <laughs> <laughs> like they were doing location scouting for like a dispatch company, and they found this kind of like, hey, you know, two birds, one stone, like. We'll just throw him a couple bucks, like let him do his job, and we'll just film here. Like that's we got it. We got it. Nailed it. Uh, one thing that I want to mention is that this is the point that we talked about it a couple other movies recently. This is the point where we're shortly in the in the aftermath of Cage's IRS's financial troubles. But there's one trend that keeps popping up to me. It's that he's not just blindly accepting any movie. I feel like he's accepting movies with directors he knows. That he worked with Joel Schumacher on Eight Millimeter, which is why he did Trespass. He worked with Simon West for this movie on Con Air, which is why he did this. So I feel like he's just accepting movies, maybe not to do like creatively, artistically, the things that he's been doing for his career. But it's not just like a blind money grab where he's accepting anything that comes to him. This director I feel did like Con Air? Yeah. How far the mighty have fallen, wow. I feel like it's sort of like his agent or whoever's like, hey, you know, Simon West got this new thing, they'll throw you three or four million dollars, whatever. Like, do you want to do this? It's in New Orleans. You know, you live in New Orleans. You know these guys. Hey, MC Ganey's back. We're bringing the whole Con Air crew back together. <laughs> we got Swamp Thing in this. And Cage's like, yeah, sure, like, I'll do that. Like, oh, I that feel happened. like this movie didn't take too long to film, you know? Yeah. And if it's in his sort of hometown or whatever, I can absolutely see why he would do this movie. Yeah, and his production company is a part of this as well. I noticed uh, the Saturn Films logo at the top of this, so it seems like he was kind of involved oh God, in making no. this happen too. Wait, it's his production company, and he just took a $33.5 million bath on it. <laughs> oh, God, that's unfortunate. Oh, no. But it does make a little more sense. And yeah, this also feels like a film that was made on the quick as well. Like all that stuff during Mardi Gras had to be filmed during Mardi Gras, so most of those things needed to be, you know, one or two takes. I'm sure, so that they could, you know, get the time and the daylight and everything. And then all this bank sequence stuff in the beginning, clearly they had much more time to shoot because they could take their time and make it very awesome and, you know, show them cracking a safe and, like, blowing a wall and all this SWAT team moving in and just shooting in a glorious bank that I haven't seen the likes of since The Dark Knight, you know? It's just one of those (laughs) huge old banks. So, yeah, I, I just feel like circumstances sort of dictated the style and, you know, a lot of other things going on. Wait, can we talk about that early bank heist? How did he get out of it? How did they? How was the wall not blown? We saw the wall get blown. I was really confused in that first scene. It was a different thing. So basically, there's I think there's, there's a diamond store and a bank on other sides of a toy store. Right. So they burrow into the toy store. They break into the toy store. They go underground. And they've been casing the joint. They've been casing the diamond place for weeks. So the cops are just watching that. But basically, I think, instead of taking a left and going to the diamond store... They go right and they go into the bank. And so it's just a matter, like, they're in the right area, but the cops are just watching the wrong building. But wait, the cops go in there like the wall's intact. Like, they knew that they blew a wall, but then they walked in and the wall was intact. 
I think they're in they, the wrong place. I thought they went through the wall, and then they were like, oh, the wall to the diamond store hasn't been breached. Uh, and then they're like, where could they be? And the main FBI agent's like, we're on the wrong block. <laughs> we gotta get which if they're on the wrong block, then how is it the toy store the same? That's what I was confused by. I just well, maybe, maybe like a foundation connection through the back and sides. And I don't know how I mean, New Orleans a, has been built. I don't know. It's the same kind of thing that comes up later in the movie, right at the very end, when they sort of have to do the big heist to make the money back at the end. Cage goes underground this one place, and Malin Ackerman's like, hey, we're six blocks away. He's like, no, don't worry about this. I figured it out. So I guess he sort of knows the underways of New Orleans. They're going in through the toy store, but instead of going to this diamond place, they take a turn somewhere else, and they wind up in the bank. Okay. Uh, so maybe they're not all on the same block. Maybe they are just connected underground. I will allow that maybe I wasn't paying the best attention during this. <laughs> well, it goes by very quick, too, and it's dark, and it's supposed to be sort of, you know, it's it's a mislead, right? Like, right. <laughs> I, I didn't even see it coming, but it's, I really should have in this type of movie, but it made me realize what kind of movie I was going to be watching. But, yeah, the, the cops go uh, into the jewelry store, and, and there's no one there. <laughs> We're in the wrong place, you know? They're pulling one over on the audience through sort of misdirection, but also just not showing us everything. So by not having him, you know, walk down six blocks underground and go to this bank, we're just like, oh, like, they're going to be caught right here. So I think it's sort of like, but that, you're, you're right, Mike, but that is sort of the movie that they're making here. We're not going to give you all the cards because we want you to be surprised, even if it doesn't necessarily make sense. Yeah, no. Maybe it made sense. I should give it another shot, but no, I'm, not, I'm never going to watch this movie again. <laughs> no, yeah, they're, they're, they were intentionally misleading us as well, or attempting to. And, and I mean, it continues, like, what is going on in the alleyway, right? Like, all of a sudden, his partner is, like, a cold-blooded killer. He seemed like a pretty chill guy when Cage was, you know, making a phone call and listening to uh, CCR, getting geared up. Reminded me of Gone in 60 Seconds, when he needed Absolutely. to listen to Lowrider and you know, they were kind of having a good time and they're like, we're a good team, you know, we work well together and all this kind of jazz and they're on the clock and all of a sudden he's like, he's seen our face, he's got to die, I'm never going back to jail. And The line yeah. was, I've been to prison and I didn't like it. In fact, I fucking hated it. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, also, I've in the beginning scene, I, I just gotta say, Malin Ackerman, I feel so bad for her. She's oh, such a Kruger effect, in effect. In full, full effect, oh my god. The, literally the first scene with her, she's in, a, in the van with them and they're talking, and she laughs three times and has no lines. Like, and like, there's like a weird space in between when they say the line and when she laughs. I thought she was like a silent character. I thought that was not only that. MC Ganey is like doing the code talk and everything, and he's like all these euphemisms for vagina, and he's like boom tang this and that, and she's like ever just say vagina? He's like what's that word or something? I don't know. (laughs) They try and do like this horribly sexist joke there, and I was just like, oh, she's even blonde like Diane Kruger. Like this is terrible. (laughs) He says, "I'm as ready to rock as Riley's diaphragm." Ugh. Which a who uses diaphragms? B it's never established that she is like slutty at all. C I, like I understand making a character abhorrent if that matters, but it never really comes up that he's yeah. that sexism matters in this. This movie is so bad to women because she is just like thrown. Like I don't even know what she's doing on the team. She's just sort of a pretty face. Like, she doesn't. It doesn't seem like she needs to do anything. No. That they have MC Ganey, who plays Hoyt, who's basically the Riley from National Treasure, not to be confused with the Riley from this movie, <laughs> who is Malin Ackerman. Right. I'm not sure what she's doing on the heist. Then Cage goes to jail, and we'll get back to this. We'll, we'll stop skipping around in a second. Then she's working at a bar, basically just sort of slutting it up as the hot bartender, right? She has no self-control, so the only way she can keep herself from stealing things 
is by basically working in a job where she's being watched by cops all day. So she's yeah. like, it's what yeah. keeps me straight, you know? I'm like, what? I guess. Whatever works. Uh, I don't so know. There's, there's her. There's her disastrous story. There's Cage's wife, I guess. You know, I don't know if they're Unpleasant. married. When, never in the movie. All she has, she has a new boyfriend or a new husband. They're out of the, they're, they're out of the picture. Then you have the daughter who is just, I mean, rightfully so. She, I mean, she's an object, but she's, she's rightfully sort of messed up, yeah. right? And resentful of Cage. And then gets abducted, and she's just something that Cage has to find. That's the only women in the movie. Like, that's it. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, the very, very end, are we to assume that Cage and Malin are dating, or are they just friends? Oh, God. I, that's like, a good it question. seems like they all kind of live out there in that trailer, <laughs> but I'm not sure. It felt to me like a celebratory barbecue of a heist well pulled, or at least, like, <laughs> we didn't die this time. Let's count our blessings. And, you know, I got, like, the guy, again, guy in 60 seconds, but also, like, a Fast and the Furious thing, where it's just, like, celebratory coda on the whole, <laughs> on the whole situation. But, yeah, it's a weird place to have a celebration. It felt like a better place to be, like, living. I don't well, yeah, I think they did it where the showdown occurred. That's what seems strange to me. It's like, here's where it all went down. Here's where shit got real. Like, let's oh have a barbecue. Cage's, like, pre-heist ritual is to listen to CCR, this entire 7-minute and 40-second song. He also, while he's listening to it, which this sort of throws me off. This whole sequence makes no sense to me. Because he's about to call off the heist because the guy, because MC Ganey, Hoyt, is running a little bit late. And he's like, hey, we have 16 minutes. We need 15 of those minutes to do what we need to do. It's too tight. Let's call it off. Then he gets the call from Hoyt, and they're like, all right, let's do it. Like, it's, it's like, okay, now, I mean, it was too tight. Now we wait a little bit, and we get a call, and now it's fine. But the other thing is that his preparation is he needs to listen to this song, sort of like Mike said, you know, listen to Low Rider and Gone in 60 Seconds. But then his daughter calls in the middle of the song. You're not really listening to the song anymore. Like, do you have to listen to the whole song again before you do the heist? <laughs> or does it just need to be on, like, in the background? You can sort of be doing whatever. He's not his character from Matchstick Man. He, he, it's okay. He can, he can deal with, uh, <laughs> with a little bit of interruption from his, uh, his thing. He can talk to his daughter about coloring their Care Bears book and saving the purple crayon for him, whatever, and then they're off doing their thing. It just and shows purple- you how much it matters that this guy takes his daughter, man. He cares. Joey, purple crayon, I mean, what's your favorite color? You know, the Hungry Rabbit jumps, right? I mean, yeah. that's just, that's all I kept thinking of. And we even got a purple dress in Seeking Justice. So I think that's Cage's actual favorite color because he, <laughs> he, he throws it out here too. But the one thing I just get from this scene is, you know, we got to cram info into this because the movie's starting. So like, it's, it's just poor writing that this would happen during the heist in the car. Like, we need to know that he has a daughter and that he cares about her and this is why he's doing doing what he's doing but it just feels inappropriate for it to happen here i almost feel like instead of jumping eight years later or even jumping eight years later and maybe jumping eight years later and finding out that he had a daughter and that like oh look at that like he's been in jail and like that's a twist that would be interesting or maybe she came to visit but alas yeah it just feels like something they needed to get across but cram it well what i love about the time jump is that it's so reminiscent of con air in that he goes to prison in Con Air when he knows his wife is pregnant. He never meets his kid. And then when he gets out of prison in Con Air, he buys a stuffed animal. And he gets out of prison in this one, he buys a stuffed animal. Like, it's basically the Simon West, Nicholas Cage prison go-to handbook. Director's trademark. Get out of prison, buy a stuffed animal for your kid, hopefully give it to the kid, have them love it. I love that. But the other thing in terms of, like, you're right, like, there are cramming too many things into this van scene. And it feels the same way in that alley scene, when his partner, when Vincent punches the onlooker, wants to kill the guy, screams about prison. 
they have this long, long, drawn-out fight. It seems like the absolute worst time to do it. The van is waiting for them. The cops are closing in. Figure it out later. You know, like, I know they need to take care of this guy somewhat, somehow, but they're just killing time. They get into a fight with each other, which is such a it's, waste. Oh, it's the worst timing and the worst on-screen fight. It just, nothing about this makes sense. It's so confusing. Yeah, and it's not particularly shot well, either. Like, it just seems like that alley goes on forever. It's like in Willy Wonka's, you know, hallway or something. It just goes on and <laughs> on and on. And then he has to go back for the money, and I don't know. It's just overloaded yeah, like, and out of left field. How are you not holding the money? Yeah, like, that was you, strange, you rob, too. That was weird. Yeah, You have $10 of... million dollars in a bag. Why are you not carrying that? Self-described and other-described as the best bank robber in America. <laughs> he forgot the money? I mean, they get into that scuffle, and they're kind of fighting. He and Vincent are kind of fighting, and they shoot Vincent in the leg, whether Cage shoots him or the gun just goes off or whatever. So I guess, like, he's got two arms around Vince. He's sort of dragging him, but carry the money. Like, I don't know. I, I, it, yeah, later we like, see him dragging $10 million worth of gold. So, <laughs> like, clearly he could drag Vincent in one arm and this bag, he could at least, you know, kick it down the alley or something. But it's strange. It, they just need to get across the fact that, like, he cares for this guy more than the money and it's not important. What's important are his friends. And, you know, he's, he's got values. He's a, good, he's a good person type of thief. You know, just because he's a bad guy doesn't mean he's a bad guy. Yeah, that, that strength thing makes no sense because when they're still the cash, Vincent sees all the gold bars, and he's like, oh, let's steal these. And Cage is like, do you have any idea how much those weigh? We can't steal those. But then later in the movie, he's stealing those, like, with no problem. And I know, <laughs> I, I, it just, I know that stealing cash, if there's cash available, is going to be easier than stealing gold. But you're telling me that you can drag, like you said, $10 million in gold bars, but you can't drag a significantly lighter $10 million in cash plus this guy who's probably, you know, muscular and built, but not, like, big. I, <laughs> I, I just don't get it. What's strange, too, is, like, give Marlon Ackerman something to do. Let her jump out of the van, run down that fucking alley, yeah. and grab the cash or something, you know? For Christ's sake, she's sitting the there like, come on, guys, come on, come on. She has Ugh. important van stuff to do, guys. <laughs> yeah, she needs to clean the van. She, she needs Ugh. to provide moral support. She needs to be there to bounce sexist ideas off of the driver. And so Cage gets Vincent into the van, and then as he's running back for the money, they drive off. This is the... <laughs> I don't know if he's... Like, maybe the problem here is that these are, like, the smartest criminals in a movie ever, because this is sort of what they should do, right? You don't want to screw over your friend, but if the cops are closing in, and really 15 or 20 seconds is the difference between getting caught and not getting caught, and that 15 or 20 seconds is the difference between getting the money and not getting the money... Like, get away. Yeah. So I guess they sort of do the right thing, which is why it seems so weird. Right. You know, the driver goes, and then by the time Cage makes it to the end of the alleyway, the cops show up. So yeah, he did make the right choice. Which is weird, because you always think that in all these movies, they're like, we gotta wait for the money, and then like that's what leads to them getting caught. Here, you know, eight years later, everybody involved in this heist, aside from Vincent, whose life completely falls apart, Everyone is living good lives. They, they, sort of, they seemingly had no repercussions of this night, that they did the exact right thing, and it just screwed Cage over. So the, dr- the driver has a shitty apartment with a dog, and he, he's, his line is, I hate you and your odor. Yeah. What the fuck line is that? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think it's his dog. I think it's a dog that just lives in this building. Yeah, right. I hate yeah, you like, and your... Who says your odor? <laughs> yeah, you're right. There's, there's just no consequence for them not getting the heist 
pulled off, right? They they don't work for anybody but themselves. So like, right. when they don't get the money, it's no big deal, and so there's just no stakes to this entire heist in a real <laughs> in a real way. So that's what makes it feel kind of weird. And yeah. and you're right, we've never seen sort of criminals this smart before either. Like not only do they drive away and not you know because I guess the most important thing is just don't go to jail for these guys. So so they get away and don't go to jail. And then also after Cage sort of does his little chase through the parking garage he surrenders you know <laughs> i was like oh i didn't really see that coming i thought they were gonna have to really force him down or something like that but i was like oh i guess like by surrendering he's gonna they'll go a little easier on him at least he'll only get that, those eight years and he's not in there very long and we know that he didn't snitch which is you know number one rule like uh, snitches get stitches and so he doesn't snitch and Marlon's like thank you for not doing that i like that in his sort of getaway his attempt to get away He's, like, punching cops and stealing cop cars, and it's, like, crazy. Like, it's not women that he's punching. He's been punching a lot of women lately. <laughs> it's, just, it's just dude cops, but it's, just, it's, it's kind of cool cage action. He was, yeah, he, was, he was in jail long enough to miss the invention of GPS. I know, did not that. Oh, yeah, so I guess, yeah, eight years, <laughs> eight years from 2012 is when that heist took place. I didn't even put that together for some reason. It all just felt like it was the same year because, you know, again, like Cage just, they never sort of do an age thing on him. No, yep. <laughs> you know, he, I think he had those, like, little gray temples at the beginning and he had them here at the end. So well, they, they actually have a line there, like, you look exactly the same. <laughs> and, and I forgot what it was, and I was like, yeah, he looks exactly the same in fucking Moonstruck. So we jump eight years later, Cage has spent his time in jail, he buys a stuffed animal for his kid, and the big realization during his eight years is that the cops still have not found the money. That Cage was running away with the $10 million, he says that he burnt it, turns out I think he actually did burn it. Yeah, for some it. reason, I, I I know, but like I still... Th- well, I you know why, Joey? Because you've got trespass on the brain. He was lying I about the money that entire yeah. movie, and it turns out he was hiding it. Because <laughs> I had for some reason in my mind that he had the money somewhere else. That he goes into this warehouse and he burns the money, but for some reason I thought, okay, we're going to get the money back by getting it back. But no, like he just burns the money. So there's really no repercussions of this. Like The only bad thing that come out of this entire thing... Is Cage goes to jail for eight years, which is bad, and you know his daughter's life is irrevocably damaged, and Vincent's life falls off the rails. But like everybody else, like there's there's nobody they're reporting to, there's nobody that they meet. Like they're just everything's back to normal. So the cops still haven't found the money, and they say something about like a squirrel not playing with his nuts. You knew, if you got caught with that money, you'd be looking at an extra ten years. So you ditched it somewhere. And now that you're out, I thought you're gonna get that ten mil, aren't you, Will? Much like a squirrel returning back to its cord after a long, cold winter. I'm not the squirrel playing with his nuts here, Harlan. It's just, like, there's, like, these weird lines that are like, hey, like, let's, let's just throw that in the script. And, like, it kind of works, but you're like, wait a minute, like, that doesn't, that doesn't, that's, A, not a phrase, and B, doesn't necessarily make sense. This movie seems to have the script writing equivalent of, like, a Cinemax movie that has to get some tits in there no matter what. Like they have like they're like, Oh, we can we can put swear words in this movie. We should have a bunch of lines that are about tits and nuts and every there's all these lines that are just seem prurient for no reason other than they can. The detective guy played by Danny Houston, right? Like the main FBI agent from the guy tracking Cage this whole time and everything. Like his whole thing is sort of to speak in these weird riddles. Like towards the end, <laughs> he uses them too, right? Where, you know, he's like, I don't know the exact line, but it's like, you know, you don't shake a cage unless you want to get 
spit or so you know like you don't <laughs> like a fire unless you want to get burned basically but have, he's got a ton of them right like this guy's full of them it seems to be his cop thing and i, I have mean, he'll be as red-handed as the little boy who put his hand on the gas stove to see how hot it really was, that was yeah you know, that's, know. That's, a, that's a thing that people say <laughs> yeah. yeah the other cop is like mouthing along with it to show that he says it all the time which yeah, i don't yeah. care how many times he says it i will never memorize the exact wording of that that's <laughs> like i know this doesn't have the same writer as conair but like at least we could get something closer to cusack you know with this guy as far as like cool level right. like he's just not yeah. cool like what did they do <laughs> when cage was in prison apparently this guy's life he had no one else to chase so like i guess he sat around the house too long and his wife left him and then he went out and bought this dopey looking hat and now he's like this guy in the hat the whole time <laughs> and it's just i don't know what's going on with this guy well i think they make the point or i think he says the line that something like don't they like, doesn't his partner ask if he likes cage he's like no i don't like him i admire him so it's like he's sort of become like obsessed with him that he's, he's only thought about Cage and this ten million dollars for eight years. Like that seems like he's the worst cop in history. If he's just if he's focusing on this one case, like at what point do you have to realize like oh maybe he did burn the money? Uh, he, he apparently he's single minded to a complete fault, and yeah, he he's like Javert. He just has this one case. He he never has anything else to do. When this movie's over, he says, "Thank you, Will. I'll return to my life now." <laughs> Yeah, what you know, is like, his life uh, if it's not law enforcement? I'm really he's going to retire. Like I think yeah. that's what that means. You know, I, uh, what was he doing before Will? He's returning oh, to it. He's re- there's, he had a life before Will, and then he had a, he had a wife. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Eight I don't years know. in which he just single mindedly obsessed. But also, while Cage is in jail, Vincent supposedly died, and I'm only saying supposedly because it seems like like there's no way that the way that this movie is, that he's actually dead. Like, there's just no way that he's dead. And we find out, I don't know, 15 minutes later that he's not dead. So it's not like a huge reveal. It's like, oh, well, all right, okay, that makes sense, he's back. But we also find out that Cage's ex-wife is now dating or married to this guy, Mr. Lowe. And I was like, ooh, Peter Lowe? But it's not Mr. Lowe. It's not Peter Lowe, it's David Lowe. So, boring. But can you imagine a world in which she's dating his character from Vampire's Kiss? Amazing. <laughs> So yeah, he does not, he and his daughter, like, their interaction does not go well. This is sort of a new type of character for Cage. He seems kind of illiterate. Like, he wrote a note to her in jail. I don't know, maybe he's just nervous. Maybe I'm sort of being too mean on him. But he's reading this note to his daughter, and he's, like, stumbling over words. He's having a hard time reading his sentences. And it just oh. does not go well in this in this little restaurant interaction scene. That scene, like he, I think, is that he written this note to explain himself, and he had tried to commit it to memory, but he was so nervous in front of her that he forgot what he had written, and so he had to read it out loud to her. It was a really weird scene. No one sets out to be a criminal, Allison, but through circumstances, bad choices, needs, unfor unforeseeable obstacles, unreliable friends, dishonesty, life intervenes. And I'm not trying to justify it. I'm not making excuses for it. I was a bad man, but I've, I've had eight long years to get rid of that man, to ready myself, to get to know you. It's as if he didn't know how old his daughter was supposed to be when he got out of prison. Like, he lost track of how old she was, and, like, she's much older than he remembered or something. Or he just wasn't expecting her to be a young lady yet and stuff. I mean, I see what they're trying to go for, but the scene is a struggle. What we need to get across is she's very resentful of him. She's got abandonment issues. He's trying to make amends, and she's just not having it. But he's trying, <laughs> and he's just a goof, you know? He brings this stupid teddy bear, clearly a cell phone 
phone would have been much better. Here, So he goes to Mullen Ackerman's bar. After this goes really poorly, she takes a cab and she gets away. Cab comes into play, play in a big way in a little bit. But then he goes to Mullen Ackerman's bar and she's like, I'm honored that I'm your first stop. He's like, actually, you were my second. She's just like, oh, like, why do you need to tell me that? Like, you don't need to... <laughs> why, did like, she, why did she assume he was, she was his first? I don't know. Well, I feel like she was just being playful and flirty and he was taking it very literal and she was like i'm just okay whatever okay. let's roll with him but then he gets a package does he does somebody leave him where does he get this cell phone from i, I rewound it trying the driver to figure it out it. the driver sneaks it he like sticks inside his door wait does he have a house anymore oh, I guess he does I, yeah it was like in the doorway when he picked up his daughter Really? That's what I thought. I, don't, I thought that somebody just in the cop package. I don't know. She gives it to him, right? It was delivered to his house, and she's like, "Oh, but is she like, oh, by the way, here, like, take this." Uh, yeah, she said she. Uh, it would been. It had been delivered to the house. That ooh, okay, whatever. And the phone rings, and it's Vincent. And Cage is like, "Hallelujah, man, you're alive." And Vincent's <laughs> like. I am not the same guy that you thought I was. <laughs> I love that call. He's, like, what? so nice to him. It's the best. He's just like, oh, oh man. Yeah. Now, you don't recognize my voice, Gum? Ah, I wanted to be there for you at the prison. Vincent? You are welcome when you got up. You know how it is. Time just slipped away. <laughs> well, hallelujah, man. You're alive. Shit, you know what? Everybody's telling me you're dead. Uh, I suppose that depends on your interpretation of the word dead. But, um, like when he finds out Vincent died, first of all, I'm like, who's Vincent? You know, I thought, <laughs> I, thought I didn't realize who it was. And he's like, man, my best friend's dead and died when I was in prison and no one told me what's going on. And, and he finds out that it's alive and he's like, oh, it's like the best day and the worst day and then the best day of my life again. It's like his emotions are, are just out of control. And Vincent basically just like, hey, I want my cut. You know, my life has gone to shit. I've had to change identities. We find out later that he dug up a guy and sort of combined his DNA with him. Like, it's an insane <laughs> yeah, story. Look at that in a second. It's unhinged. He cut up the guy's body, and I guess crazy. he also put his finger in there. He's missing a leg and maybe missing some fingers, too. Yeah. He's definitely got the better role here, right? Like, that's the juicy role. Like, he's this psychotic, about-to-be-serial-killing, murderous, you know, revenge-seeking <laughs> psychopath. Yeah. He's got a fucking blade for a leg. Like, yeah. the blade running Olympic guy, I lost my shit when I saw that. Oh. I was fucking dying. This guy is eating it up, but I just couldn't help but picture Cage trying to do this, too. And, oh, oh man. <laughs> could have just been insanity. And it turns out that he has kidnapped Cage's daughter, and will only return her if he gets his cut of the $10 million. And Cage's like, I don't know how many times I need to tell you this. I burned the money. I don't have the money. The only way I'm going to get more money is if we rob someone else. Wait, wait. I just discovered something that I have to share. Okay. Josh Lucas in 2009 was in another movie called Stolen. What? I think I might have known that. Oh <laughs> he better be in another movie called Stolen soon and have like the Stolen Trilogy. <laughs> the stolen trilogy. I feel like Stolen is a, a vague enough movie title that it could be made, like a different movie could be made that's also in some ways the same movie every year forever. So what does the Stolen in this title refer to? His daughter was stolen? Okay. That's what I'm taking it Well, at. the money was stolen. Taken, 100%. Vincent's life was stolen from him. Like, his life falls apart. His leg was stolen. The money was stolen. The, the, <laughs> his life, his 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 looks were stolen. <laughs> what was that? What happened no on idea. his cheek? I, what, what, what is that? Maybe it like is new. A, is like a drug reference. I'm not referencing. Like knowing there's something you well, do by needling your cheek. What, what is that? So this guy's major thing was his vanity. It, 
You know, like at the end, it all comes down to that for him. And it's like, you know, once he got shot in the leg, that started his like ugliness and he had to lose the leg and then he grew his hair out and then he started to hate himself. And then he started, it seemed like he started to sort of get bad tattoos, you know, and cover <laughs> his body and make him look undesirable. And, and he was just going the next level by giving himself scars or something. It just felt like <sighs> he was always sort of transforming and seeing how grotesque he could make himself. He was wearing a wig, right? Like that was like a definitely wig you mean the character or the actor uh, the character that's no, right the actor the actor was definitely wearing a wig it was definitely like wearing a bad wig to play that character probably yeah he looks normal in the beginning of the movie yeah yeah that's like <laughs> a full-on mardi gras wig <laughs> it was like not a good one what i like about his like again this is just sort of just a weird character quirk but what i like is that he's like here's a cell phone for you every time i call it <laughs> you need to pick up within eight rings and I don't remember what Mike, Mike. What movie was it where they're like, you have five days to crack the case? Like it just seems like an exorbitant amount of number. Like <laughs> answer oh, within the first. That three was next. That was next. It. That was that was next. Oh yeah, yeah. Julianne Moore, I, you have five days. To, like five days is like a long time to crack the case. Yeah. Here, you're like you have eight rings. Like no, like three or four. I maybe feel like at five, it goes to to answering machine. Yeah. What does Cage say that he's got the money in Tuscaloosa and he has to go get the money from there? Oh, yeah, yeah I, I am so fuzzy with this whole sell on a train scenario sequence because it just turns out to be a complete waste of our time. <laughs> like, it's just so infuriating. First, I was like, like, what is that move he's pulling with the? You, can you even forward calls like that with a cell phone? Well, you can, you can forward calls, and as we learned in National Treasure, you can apparently completely clone a phone oh, too. Wait, yes, I forgot about that. Cage okay. movies and phones are just. They're pushing the limits of what phones can do. And then we come to find out, like, Vincent knows he's not on that, like, he's not an idiot, like, he knows he's not on the train, like, he could obviously hear what's going on in the background, or knows that he's, you know, went and beat up the other accomplice guy, the old older guy, uh, Swamp Man, Swamp Thing, <laughs> from, from Con Air. So he's been, like, tracing and tracking him, but letting, you know, playing this, like, cat and mouse game, so it just was, like, so confusing to me. I think he doesn't know. I think he is tricked for a little while. And then, like, he's piqued his interest when he's like, you're out of breath. After a certain point, it's pretty obvious there's somebody causing a lot of havoc in. Oh, I'm just, I'm just doing wind sprints on the train. Don't worry about it. I'm just, ex- I'm just working out on this train in Tuscaloosa. That's why. Yeah, I'm exactly. Yeah. But after a certain while, the point is, like, he does eventually yeah. realize that he's not on the train in Tuscaloosa and he doesn't immediately murder the daughter. So it doesn't really matter that he wasn't on the train in the first place. Ugh. Uh, and, like, right after he, he pulls the train, like, he, he gets this other cell phone, forwards the calls, puts the phone on a train, gets off the train, trying to get his daughter back. And, like, within minutes, the cops arrest him. Yeah. Like, where does he get arrested here? He just... How many times does he get arrested? Twice or just this he once? He goes to the FBI, and he's like, Vincent's alive. He kidnapped my daughter. Oh, right. I burned all the money. And the guy's like, get the fuck out of my office. He's like, I'm not going along with this bullshit. I'm the one trying to trace you to the money. You think I'm gonna... You're gonna slip me off your trail, mister? And then he's on the es- the elevator. I don't know what the point of this is. Like, they're not keeping him... They're not, like, a arresting him right is he just getting mad like, i don't know don't it's a cool him. scene yeah, what was that yeah, yeah why does he take them out it's a cool scene like they're on the elevator going down oh like i, I guess they maybe they just piss him off oh he oh. takes them out he takes them out because he needs their id badges to do the research himself. yeah the laminate oh, the laminate yeah. comes in <laughs> the laminate just comes just in. like seeking justice right yeah it's always plan. about laminates but the only thing he uses it for is to find out where mc ganey is and so he's on the elevator with these two FBI agents, and they're just making fun of him, like, oh, like, what kind of criminal mastermind would, like, go to the FBI and get caught and not have the money? And he just beats the shit out of both of them. Like, he just knocks them both out, 
really kind of cool scene, sort of Jason Bourne-y. Then he takes their badge, and he goes underground, and he goes to sort of find information about Hoyt, about MC Gaming, to find his address. That's the crime he gets arrested for, that, you know, I guess him just running... They need to up the stakes, I guess? I don't know, because I guess they need to get, keep the cops involved, and he's not breaking any other laws the rest of the movie. They're just so arresting FBI him. agent is kind of a big deal. Well, well I, yeah, but I mean, that whole thing. <laughs> later, he, yeah, later, he, like, gets into a car chase and gets, like, legit arrested, where he has to, like, break his thumb to escape the handcuffs and answer the phone and stuff. But I think here he makes it out of the FBI offices, you know, kind of sneaks right. out of there, kind of, like, next style. Like, no one really sees him doing it and anything like that. Yeah. And uh, he's, like, walking around. It's Fat Tuesday, and, and Vincent is, like, in his lair with his daughter, gives him the night-night needle. We, yep. we just saw that in Trespass uh, so yep. as well. And, he, and then they have like an exchange, and that's where he tells him that whole complex thing where he's like, I have the money somewhere else with my lawyer, and okay, I'm giving you eight rings to answer the phone. And then the other guy's like, none of this is going to come into play, so don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, and he goes to MC Ganey's apartment. like Because like, he doesn't really meet up with Vincent for a while. That this is sort of like the, they're, they're, they're prolonging this, they're pushing this off. In the meantime, he's you know with the cops, he's with MC Ganey, he goes to his apartment, and they do the thing that just like it's even when it's in like a movie like this that's not great, it still like makes me feel like ugh. Like he puts Cage puts his finger in MC Gaming's eye and it just makes me squirm, like it's just so gross. Mm-hmm. And as they're doing that, the FBI shows up and MC Gaming's like, Well, this has been a good run <laughs> and he points the shotgun at like I don't know he's not gonna get arrested. I don't understand I guess he just he thinks that he doesn't want to go to jail. I don't know, but he points the the shotgun at the cops and, and the cops just unload on him and kill him and then cage in his escape is jumping between rooftops like he did in birdie like it's (laughs) amazing it's such a great throwback oh i'm sure it's deliberate they're they're like i remember birdie guys (laughs) yeah that fight with hoyt was just like it was crazy because it's just like look at these old guys like struggling around this apartment (laughs) it's just kind of funny to watch because mc gainey is like a big old looking dude you know like kind of like santa claus almost and it's just like (laughs) weird to see him getting like punches in and like this was not an easy fight to win by any means real real quick i want to mention i don't think we mentioned for con air mc gainey also on lost for a little bit i mean we we got to keep mentioning these lost connections MC Guinea was on Lost for a little bit. I think he was one of the others, right? He yeah. Was, yeah, he yeah, was definitely yeah. elite other. Early season one, one season the, two one sort of, of thing. Yeah. So got to mention that. But go ahead, Mike. Okay, so there's this insane sequence with Vincent where he's driving around. It's Mardi Gras, and a guy jumps in the backseat of his cab, and he's like, I need a ride. And he yeah. starts <laughs> giving this dude a ride. It was the weirdest. And the girl is sort of poking through the backseat trying to get this dude's attention. And it's just like the worst sort of weird <laughs> tension, dramatic sequencing. And then, and if, then the, if she could get her finger through there, him. how could she not scream for help? Yeah, that's that. That was the worst. Like she should have just yelled, you know, like, help me, help me. But instead, it's because Vincent had to tell his whole King Louis story. That was insane. Where he's like, King Louis sent all like the pirates and the whores and all the prostitutes and the thieves over to New Orleans, and that's who we are. And he's like, I'm one of, I'm a thieving pirate, a whore. Ah. <laughs> like, I kind of like that as a parallel pirate. to Australia, actually, because the guy was Australian. They're like, uh, it's the prison colony, like you. 
Oh, right, right, right. I didn't catch that at first because I was just like, drag him out of the car and beat the shit out of him. And then he does. He drags the guy out of the car, pulls a Sailor Ripley on him and just beats him down on the curb. Why did he not take no for an answer? Why did he not get in the cab and he was like, no, I'm not going to take you. Well, both, on both of them. Why did the Australian push so hard? And why did the, the murderer with a child in her trunk let him get away with being in his cab? We needed to see another altercation between Vincent and someone who isn't involved in the main plot to reinforce just how psychotic he is, right. I'm saying. And, and But the way they do it is just so over the top. I almost feel like he could have just dragged the guy out of the car or given this really weird, awkward speech and the dude would have been like, okay, and just excuse himself from the car and be like, right. know, I'll take, I'll get out right here. But instead they do the combo and it's just too much. I think the guy is so insistent to stay in the car because he's just like a drunk asshole who doesn't really know where he is or what he's doing because he's on the phone he's just like yeah one of them was pregnant did you see that like it's just he has no concept of what's going on in the real world he's just getting in a cab and like if you're drunk and you're in a cab and there's nobody else in the cab like why can't the cab give you a ride where you need to go hmm. like it, it doesn't make sense uh, yeah and his whole conversation He's just one of a thousand male characters who has nothing on the mind but horrible misogyny. Yeah. What, what I love about this scene that neither of you have mentioned yet is that as he's driving around, Vincent says, and I quote, the only thing with any balls to come through this city was the hurricane. Like, just invoking <laughs> Katrina as a way to condemn the entire city? Like, whoa. That's crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. And also, you know, the pirate story that he tells, the pirates, the prisoners, the pioneer... Reminds me, Mike, of Bad Lieutenant, the Silver Spoon story about pirates coming into New Orleans. Everything in New Orleans. It feels like there's one story to tell in New Orleans, and we're sort of telling that story over and over again. But it's pretty exciting, and there's been four movies about these pirates, (laughs) and so, you know, they've entertained. I think, like, this scene just serves to show how crazy and deranged Vincent is, and it also sets up the next scene with Vincent, which is when he's driving, the cop pulls him over for having the busted taillight, because Allison in the trunk has sort of ruined the taillight. What is the story that he tells? Oh, about his dad mm-hmm. and about how his dad had cancer. You know why I pulled you over? Do not. Brake lights out. What's funny? Nothing. It's just it's Mardi Gras and the streets are filled with drunken lunatics, and you pull me over for a broke brake light. Reminds me of my father was dying of bone cancer. All day he'd bitch about the nick he got in his chin from shaving that morning. I know you're thinking, why would a dying man shave? No, I wasn't thinking that at all. Get this vehicle back to the barn, get that light taken care of. Because he had tremendous vanity! That cop also had something horrible to say, didn't he? Wait. No, no, no. Right when he shoots him, or he's about to shoot him, he goes, uh, I used to be a golden boy, and now I'm a Picasso? You know, referring to, like, I'm just like my father, like, I am vain too. That's where I got it from. One day I came up with a plan. I dug up a body, see? Wasn't hard. Resemblance was reasonable. Then I cut him up into small pieces and added a little of myself to the mix. I was a golden boy, dollface. Now I'm a freaking Picasso. 
So he, no, he doesn't say that to the cop about the golden boy. He says that to Allison. Because after he kills the cop, she runs away, and he catches up to her and says, look at you. You have any idea what I did? I was left for dead, and I dug up a body, and I killed her, or whatever. <laughs> and he's like, that's when he's like, I was a golden boy, and now I'm Picasso. Like, I'm a work of art. Like, I've altered my body. I've altered my fingerprints. I've cut off a finger. Like, you have no idea. You just walk around with your fingerprints thinking things are normal. <laughs> but, like, I did something. <laughs> and while this is while this is all going on in another taxi in another part of town, Cage just sort of jacks this car from this guy and gets in touch with dispatch and the guy we were talking about earlier, just this crazy over the top colorful character actor. Amazing. Nine and inches is, and can reload after fourteen minutes. Oh, and Cage is getting all the info that he needs after he chases the co- uh, chases the taxi cab guy out of his cab, Cage is like, "Hey, thanks very much." And the dispatcher is like, "Hey, who that is? Like, you turned white. Like, what, who, who is this?" Yeah. <laughs> and then that's that's it. Like, we, we don't hear back from him until the cops show up a little bit later. He goes on a car chase through the suburbs of New Orleans. Yeah. Is that what yep. those are? I didn't I didn't even realize there really was like a, that. Looks like my neighborhood. Oh no! Like New New Orleans is. Dude, like New Orleans is great. Like there are great suburbs down there. It's this they're is, going at a speed that does not make sense for the streets yeah. of New Orleans. I can tell you that much. Yeah, yeah, and it's pretty cool because of how cramped it is there. You know, and it's really interesting about New Orleans is you turn a corner, you have the suburbs. You turn another corner, you have the city. You turn another one, you have you know like Bourbon Street. Then you get like the docks. Like there's just lots of great locations, and they, they seem to be really close to each other. And you also get the bayou, which we don't really have in this movie. But I feel like they could have done something there. I mean, I guess we have the docks at the end. That's sort of the swampy area. But you turn another corner, you're you're running into the bio. You have alligators. You know, you have gator cams. You have iguana cams. You have all the things from Bad Lieutenant. Which I haven't seen, but you you said it was amazing, right? Oh, it's amazing. You should watch that. Okay. I might actually do some extracurricular cage club. (laughs) And so after this chase, after this car chase through the suburbs, Cage is so close and he finds a taxi cab he's been looking for. But it turns out it's the wrong cab. They put the sticker on this cab, and the kid, the, this cab driver is just a kid, and he's just, like, scary. He's like, this is my cab, it's not my number. And then the cops arrest him there. <laughs> and this is when he goes through that crazy, breaks his thumb to get out of cuffs because the phone's ringing. There are moments in this movie, and I guess there's a lot of moments in this movie, where it's, like, crazy action, just characters doing insane things, just surrounded by, all right, like, just, like, let's keep the story moving. Yeah, like, yeah. the weirdest thing about what they say is, like, you're arrested because you broke parole. Really? Like, that's his charge? Like, that's what you're There's a thousand other him? things. Like, yeah, oh. you just chased him through town. Like, he just caused, like, havoc, and you at least give him vehicular manslaughter, Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto, <laughs> yeah, you know, assault you of an FBI agent, you know, <laughs> illegal <laughs> use of FBI, whatever. Like, it's just, there's so many things, but no, you broke parole. So, Did you guys catch the Wilhelm scream during that uh, yes. episode sequence? Yeah, mm-hmm. you can't ever unhear that if it comes up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's there's actually thing. some sound effects. This is sort of maybe a good time to talk about it. There's a couple sound effects that I hear in so many movies that there's one baby cry that I think we've heard in Kids Club before. There's like a baby cry where I, I can't, I'm not going to imitate it because it's going to sound terrible. Yeah. But there's a baby cry that they reuse all the time. And there's also one of like a truck horn going by that it starts in front of you and it winds up behind you. That those three sound effects, at least, and I'm sure there's more, just like Mike said, like I can't unhear them. Like whenever I hear it, I'm just like, Oh, they bought, you know, Sound Pack 101, and they're just using <laughs> these same sound effects that are in every movie. The Wilhelm scream is something that is sort of like a nod, like a joke, a wink to the audience. These other sound effects that I pick up that I've heard literally dozens of times, so much. 
just feels lazy, you know? Like, it just, there's so many sound effects. Just go Foley something. Like, I don't know, just make your own sound effects. Well, I'm screaming The Force Awakens, by the way. Spoiler alert for The Force Awakens. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want to be spoiled to the sound effects they use. But, Joey, what's interesting about this, or what I think is, like, what I feel is kind of off is that there is competent filmmaking. Like, there's cool stunts, there's good action, these actors are bringing it, they're having fun, but this script just sucks. Like, it's just, like, dumb and dragging. Yeah and there aren't any twists and turns. Like, I definitely thought Marlon Ackerman was going to be on it. There was going to be some kind of long con, something more, but it's just sort of boring. I don't know. There's just not well, enough the, evolving. The only reason that Marlon Ackerman is in this movie at all, I think, is because he needs someone at the end to do this job with. That MC Ganey is dead. Vincent is now his enemy. He needs somebody else that he can trust that knows bank heists. But I also don't know, like, in a smarter script, maybe, he has MC Gaming go with him. But then again, I guess he's sort of the tech guy. I don't know. Like, they're just, they're not utilizing their parts very effectively. They do one cool thing with Malin Ackerman and Cage is that they speak Swedish, and that's how they know that oh, he's gone yeah. bad oh. again, or he's turned wrong. <laughs> but even that long... As you are speaking Swedish, I know that this is serious business. Dude, but how great is it when he's talking to Vincent on the phone and he's like, I'll do it. I'll get your damn money. And he's like, how are you going to do that? By turning wrong. Going back to wrong. Yeah. Oh, man. I don't have the money. What I say to you about lying to me? I'm sorry. I just... I just... Your daughter's dead. No, wait! Wait! You really don't have it, do you? I'll get you the money. May I ask how? We're going back to wrong. Vincent calls him when they're in the cop car, and that's why he has to break his thumb, and they, they flip the car. And somehow still, in the process of breaking out of his handcuffs, flipping the car... Then finding the phone in the car wreckage, it's still within eight rings. Like, like I guess that's, that's I guess why that's it, why it has eight. to be eight rings. But yeah, it's <laughs> surviving. They're like, what luck! Like surviving that car crash. Like, <laughs> it reminded me of uh, the end of Spirit of Vengeance when Ghost Rider intentionally caused a car crash, but he ends up killing the kid because the car crash is like so violent. Yeah. And so it's like, how did he even? You know, it's fifty-fifty. He was going to survive <laughs> to answer the phone. And what I love about this part is that Vince is like, hey, I'm, I'm tired of waiting for my money. Like, your daughter's dead. Cage is like, no, <laughs> look, that's that's not our agreement. And he's like, I don't have your money. And it's like, oh, your daughter's not actually dead, but now that you know she's dead and you still don't have the money, now I believe you, but I still want money. And it's like, oh, okay, so I, I guess we're going to go to plan B. He's going to go back to wrong. Then I wrote down that it's not a movie unless Malin Ackerman speaks Swedish. Like, I feel like they always, because she's from Sweden, because she can fluently speak Swedish, I've seen her speak Swedish in so many movies, just because, like, the director's like, oh, like, we can work that in somehow, right? Yeah, well, it felt like a personal flourish. Like, you know, I think since Cage was producer and, you know, Simon West involved and everyone's getting their little nods in and their comfort zones, right? I mean, you know, Simon West has his teddy bear out of prison. Nick Cage has his purple shout out for his favorite color. So let's give Mullen Ackman. What, what would you like to, <laughs> you know, sort of mark this movie with? You know, I can only imagine the stuff other characters came up with we're not even aware of. I mean, I'm sure as hell the cop was like, oh, can you mind if I wear this hat for my character? And they're like, sure, man, go ahead. Head, whatever we're playing <laughs> can i have a line about going to rick's cabaret to see some naked ladies and we get one of my favorite moments or favorite types of scenes that i bring up every time oh, it's cage selling his plan to someone and he's like hey Mullen, we gotta steal some money 
my daughter's been kidnapped. And she's like, well, I, I don't know. Like, we, you know, I've been, I've been good. But he's like, we got to do this. And she's like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> well, I mean, she's the only thing keeping her from stealing is that she's working in front of cops. So it's probably a pretty easy sell for her. Right. And while he's selling her on this, the FBI finally gets their act together and is like, hey, maybe we should figure out, you know, if Vincent's actually dead or not. And they find out that Cage contacted this dispatch, and they go to the dispatch, and Zach's favorite character, that dispatch guy, <laughs> is like, oh yeah, I know this guy. Whenever he comes in, he scares my kids. By the way, They're my 20. kids are 20 years old. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, okay, so he's just like a creepy dude. Like, that's just like a weird way to like, describe. But I also kind of like it. And they take one look at his picture, and they're like, oh, yep, Vincent's alive. Should have listened to Cage 45 minutes ago. Now we got to get our act together. And again, we have a character, Joey, with two names, right? He goes by Vincent Kinsey and Jimmy Morgan. <laughs> it's just blowing my mind because this is well, coming up a lot. Because Vincent Kinsey is dead. Like, to the world, Vincent Kinsey is dead. Yeah. Jimmy Morgan is alive. You know, I could have sworn at some point in this movie this FBI guy got fired. <laughs> like, somewhere around, like, toward the end, he's looking at a bunch of files and boxes outside somewhere. And I'm like, did he just get fired from this case or something? Like, these guys just blow my mind. There's certainly no Delroy Lindo. It would have been, fu- <laughs> been so funny for this FBI agent to obsess over this case for eight years. And then as soon as it's finally relevant again, then he gets fired. <laughs> We can accept you spending eight years obsessing over this case, but now, like, this is this is one day too far. Now that it's Fat Tuesday, we need to do other things. Uh-huh. And that's sort of, that's another point that maybe this is another movie, an indictment on the police, because when that cop pulls over Vincent, and Vincent kills the cop, he's like, what are you doing? Like, it's Fat Tuesday, there's drunk assholes all over town, and you're pulling me over for a busted taillight? There might be, I'm not sure if this movie's smart enough to make that kind of call, but it might be another sort of continuing sort of, you know, Michael Bay, Jerry Bruckheimer, finger to the police. You're sort of using your resources poorly. Yeah, that actually comes across as a stronger statement, like an actual, like, we want people to hear what we're saying, as opposed to the usual just, like, stupid stupid cop, like, look at them dumb, you know, the, the villain's smarter than the good guy sort of portrayal that we usually get. Like, this is, you're right, like, a, a, a real, like, let's stop the movie and make an actual indictment here and, like, try and say something. I just don't want to give the movie credit for making a point. Like It's so sort of bland and generic that to actually take time out to make fun, like point out like, hey, cops are misusing resources, spending eight years on a cold case. It's strange to be like that. I don't want to say that's smart, but like actually have something to say does not feel like this is the movie to do it in. It's it's absolutely not the movie to do it in this way, right? Like, it's just so out of place, and I think that's why I love it, is because it just adds to the insanity. Like, they're just, I don't know, it's just so much more, <laughs> it just makes it so much, that much crazier. Like we said earlier, like, they sort of just try and cram too much in, or they reveal or do things, or want you to know stuff about a character, but, like, they sort of seem to do it at the wrong time, and <laughs> it just feels a little off in ways, and and I just feel like I know this guy. I believe he's going to kill Cage's daughter. Like, I believed it as soon as I saw he had a blade for a leg. Like, I just, like, didn't need him to kill a cop, too. Uh, I mean, it's okay. The squibs look cool. It didn't look, like, digital at all. So I give him props for that and everything. But otherwise, it just was, like, unnecessary. Cage's plan to get the money is to go back to that same exact bank he robbed eight years ago and not go for the money... But, okay, so this is this is crazy. This is insane. His eight-year plan in prison is to figure out a way, I guess, like, it feels like when he gets out of prison that he kind of wants to go clean, 
But if you spend eight years, and they do say that, he's like, Malin Ackerman says, Why, how did you come up with this? He just says, oh, I was bored in prison. Like, I just came up with it. But I feel like he kind of wants to go clean. But also, if he's thinking about this, maybe he still wants to get that one last score and ride off into the sunset. I don't know. Yeah, well, well there's also the other aspect of, as is touched upon in Lord of War, it's what he's good at. It may not be what's right, but damn, it feels good to be good <laughs> at something, you know? And they go in through this, like, warehouse six blocks away and go underground and wind up directly under the bank they they robbed wait, wait. years ago? Can I have a note about this. Why was he using that laser measure? What on earth purpose did that laser measure have? I think, I think, and Mike, maybe you can see if I'm right or wrong. I don't know, because I'm just guessing here. Is that that's a laser meter to say, like, okay, because he's like, I need to go 30 feet this way and then 60 feet this way. But he was measuring the like- far wall. Like, he just, he just measured the far wall and he said, that's 30 meters away. And then he just walked to the far wall. Like, there's, there was no other way for him to go. He just measured well, like how far the wall was. You're sort of navigating the streets of New Orleans from underground, and so you don't have the traditional landmarks. And so instead of saying, you know, turn left on Bourbon, turn right on Frenchman, whatever. You're just like, okay, I need to go 30 meters this way. I need to go... But yeah, I don't I don't know. I guess but it would make sense like if a, it weren't the far wall. If it weren't just be like, go to the wall and take a left. Like, you know, there's a, there's a wall here. Like, that, I don't know. It was weird. I, was just like, <laughs> I think they just wanted to put a green laser in the movie. Yeah, which I looks think pretty you cool. nailed it. <laughs> you nailed it. Like, that's exactly what it's there for. Like, it just needs to be gadgety and stuff. Like, it could have easily have been, you know, like 50 paces, you know, or 100 paces make yeah. a right. Or it would have been even better if he had that timed it out to a song. Actually. Like, imagine if he timed it out out to you know, oh, a song. What's that, what's that Bruce Willis movie? Oh, like a uh, Hudson Hawk. Yeah. <laughs> if they pulled the Hudson Hawk here, that would be incredible. It's the seven minutes and forty seconds of his CCR song were exactly the amount of time it took to get down the hall. And then oh, what man. is this? What is this like? <laughs> what, what is what is this thing that he has? It's like a welder, but it's like enormous. I don't. What is going oh, on? And how did he get a hold of it in the like three minutes he had? I don't know. Prepare. I feel like I feel like it's something that he had before he went to prison. That's the only thing that makes sense. No, no, no. But this they, is a tool. Like maybe it was in Malin's truck. Well, they have a quick scene where he like breaks into a construction zone and oh. loads up a truck and just like hauls ass out of there. Like literally steals that. all the gear he needs to do. Oh. Oh, I, I didn't. I didn't see that either. <laughs> what? It's like a two second did you? Did you fill this scene in with your brain? Are you just like much smarter than us? No, I. Re- I remember them driving a truck, and I remember them in sort of construction site. Maybe I was just writing notes, or I don't know. I was maybe I just didn't know why they were doing what they were doing. It's sort of their gearing up montage, but it's only a couple seconds long. But this is, guys, oh. this is by far the fastest heist in film history, right? No I mean, planning. I've never seen anything go off as fast, as without a hitch, as late in a movie as this is. It's just blowing he planned it in eight me. years. He had eight years to plan it, and it works perfectly. And what I love about it is that he's even like, all right, we're gonna have say two minutes or whatever the time frame is. In two minutes, like the alarm's gonna go off. We gotta get out of here. And like, it's exactly what happened. Like, there's there's no hitch in the plan they melt up into the bank and melt all the gold and as the gold hits the water underneath it sort of re-solidifies and they're just tossing the bag and dragging it away like there is literally 
no hitch in this plan whatsoever. This is like I think I saw this in a comic book. Like this is straight. You know, like I expect this in like a Superman movie. Like this just is insane. Like this could never work. Like this is so far beyond. I mean, to me, I don't think it would ever work. I mean, does can you melt gold through the floor like that and you know just pick it the up? Question out of the question is, does water? that flamethrower exist? That's the only <laughs> question. Like exist. Like this movie just jumps from. I'm not gonna say believable, but it just goes from one level to the next it like bypasses necessary levels of light i just goes off the rails and out of control i'm just losing it here at the end it reminds me i think it's the movie it reminds me of the italian job um. when they robbed that bank in venice and they just dropped the safe out through the bank floor yeah. into the like it's just like oh we did in that like you're like you know we'll cut out the middleman instead of having it drop into the water we're just gonna have gold drop into like you know ankle deep water and then we'll just take it from there like it's the same kind of thing right that instead of going in traditionally you're going in from underground i don't know it's it's very cool and also makes no sense at the same time <laughs> yeah also yeah it seemed like it was so the 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 under the subterranean passageways to the under the bank were visible from the street like if you looked up you could see through the these thin grates to the street right very little security to get down there and you could just walk within apparently six inches of the bank vault and what i love about them being subterranean which is a great word is that cage is wearing his welding goggles but it also makes him look like speckles from oh, from g-force, G-force. Oh, <laughs> you're so right and he was he was a mole in that movie, and he always wore the goggles. Oh and so he's wearing the goggles in this movie. He's underground, you know, where a mole would hang out. It's Speckles IRL. Like, this is Speckles the human version. <laughs> and somebody please draw this, like, map of how each Cage Club movie relates to the previous ones. Like, it, this, every time I've talked to you guys about this, it's been, a, a, like, a previous movie thing. Well, We're not so, even done so, for this movie. Just wait till the wrap. <laughs> So we get to my favorite dialogue, my favorite interaction in this movie, is that they're (laughs) robbing the bank, and they cut to FBI agents. And the FBI agents know that they robbed the bank, they know where they are, they know they're getting away. And one FBI agent is talking to our main detective, and he's like, why shouldn't we arrest them now? He gives this, like, this is when Zach's line about, you know, a boy putting his hand on the stove and a red hand and whatever. Like, it still doesn't make sense, like, it's still not a logical explanation. It's just like a two-shot, they're going back and forth, like, face-to-face. And then we cut to a building. <laughs> just in the middle of our conversation, we cut to a building with an ADR line that I feel like they were showing this movie, they edited this movie, they're like, shit, like, this makes no sense. Like, I don't understand, like, there's no reason for them not to arrest them here. We need to add in a line that explains somewhat. And so they zoom out, and they say a line, and, like, it kind of helps, but there's also the end of the day. There is no reason why they're not arresting them now, other than, you know, you don't want to back them into a corner because then it could be big. Like, it, nothing makes sense, and I love this conversation so much. Boss, hey, listen to this. Say again. We have the two suspects. They're in Riley's truck on North Peters, heading towards the ferry. Do not take them until they're off the ferry. I repeat, do not take them until they're off the ferry. We take them now. We got them boxed in. You want to corner a weasel unless you want to get bet. Boss, I hope you know what you're doing. It takes only eight minutes to get across the river in that ferry. Wait for strength in numbers. And when we get Montgomery, he'll be as red-handed as the boy who put his palm on the gas stove to see how hot it really was. And this is another one of the detective's words of wisdom. You, you don't corner a weasel unless you want to get bit. <laughs> I say that every day. All the every time. Day. 
Well, it's just because you're not a cop. You're not a hardened cop. You don't understand. It's it just, is kind of strange that they don't want to arrest him. I, I have the feeling like the agent is starting to believe him because they've also discovered that Vincent's alive, and now maybe he's telling the truth, and he doesn't want to believe him, but he's a cop, so he, uh, what's going on? You know, is he telling the truth? Is he not? Let's arrest him. Let's not, you know, like, let's give him more time. Maybe he can solve this himself and save us all the trouble of doing our own job. Well, apparently there's this, this dichotomy. Apparently there's the two FBI agents and the main guy. I, and apparently, this is the difference, and this never shows its, its head until the very end, is that the, the main guy is rooting for Cage and the other guy is not. Right. There's no better example of it than when they're at the very end of the movie and he's about to throw that goal. He's like, do it, don't do it, do it, don't do it. Don't do it, don't do it. He's got it. He's got that missing 10 pounds of gold. That's what they're talking about. Is that something enough for you? Yeah, that is something. I can't see his lips. I'm gonna disappear it in the mud. He's not gonna throw it. He just might, and if he does, you ain't got Jack. Don't throw it. Throw it. Don't do it. Do it. Throw it. Don't do it. Do it. Throw it. Don't do it. Throw it. No, 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 no. Do it. Oh, thank you, Will. I'll return to my life now. And yeah, so I think I think as this movie goes on, our main detective is just like, you know, I admire this guy. I've been obsessed with this guy for years. I'm on his side. I'm gonna let him get away with it. Like, let's just let's just let him do his thing and see if we can actually catch Vincent, who's the real criminal here. I'm sure it was Vincent who robbed the bank. Well, and then they take this to one of my favorite set pieces in recent Cage Club history: the abandoned amusement park. Like, straight out of Scooby-Doo. Like, this was a <laughs> terrific location that just happened to be available because, unfortunately, because of Katrina hit. Maybe not so, unfortunately, you know, if you ask Vincent, the psychopath who apparently welcomed it with wide arms. But, yeah, I just love the imagery of this abandoned amusement park. I just think it's really creepy. Well, before we get there, hold on one second. The cops, while they're arguing about whether or not they should arrest them, they let them sort of have a little bit of a head start. And this head start is enough that Mullen Ackerman is able to get a mannequin right. and prop the mannequin up in the front seat with her. Apparently she finds and it on the, the ferry. I don't know, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like, where, do you, where do you find a mannequin on a moment's notice? They're in her truck. They're in Riley's truck. They're driving this way. And they pull her over, and it's just her and a mannequin. She's like, how you doing, boys? And like, I guess you can't arrest her because they have nothing to link her to the crime. And meanwhile, then Cage is off driving to this amusement park, and we get the final confrontation between him and Vincent. But I just love that shot of Malin Ackerman. Like, what do you do? Like, I'm just riding with a mannequin up front. Everything's totally normal here. <laughs> it's I, so I, easy to find a mannequin on short notice, guys. It's so <laughs> easy. Well, you know what's crazy? When I saw that, I thought of Seeking Justice, which also takes place in New Orleans. And, and in the end of that, they go to the abandoned mall. And yep. there's mannequins everywhere, you know? <laughs> and so I was like, maybe she just stopped by the abandoned mall before the abandoned amusement park. <laughs> Very <laughs> possible. Picked up a mannequin. I apparently need to see this Seeking Justice movie. It sounds, it sounds excellent. It's on Netflix. It's easy to find. God. Larson was our guest for that and Larson hated that movie so me and Mike were like this is great and Larson's like ugh <laughs> this final confrontation between Cage and Vincent there's so much that happens so quickly that I wrote down confrontation flare Cage shot tackled car on fire driving a fiery car is this drive angry like there's so many <laughs> things they just get there and Cage has the money he has the gold like it's not enough for Vincent they're about to make the swap but Vincent I guess never had the plan to give Cage his daughter back Cage had stolen his life from Vincent. He lost his leg. He lost a finger. 
that he's just going to kill Cage's daughter in front of him. And so he pours gasoline and lights a flare, and before he lights the car on fire, Cage tackles him. But as he's tackling him, Cage gets shot in the gut, and then as they're rolling around on the ground, the car lights on fire anyway. The whole thing is, like, they're, everything they're trying to avoid just happens anyway. It's just, it's, it's weird. It's a wonderful callback to their pointless fight in the beginning of the movie. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> he even brings it up. He's like, you caused this. It's all over that janitor, you know? If you just let me kill that guy, none of this would have happened. But instead, you've destroyed me, and yeah, I blame you. And he's like, did you listen to some Clarence Clearwater revival before you came here? And he's like, no. I didn't listen to any fucking CCR, you bastard. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. But uh, you're right, Joey. Like, cool things happen, but they happen in a blink of an eye. And, and this yeah. whole time, the daughter's still in the trunk. So the car's on fire, and she's in the trunk. Then all of a sudden, the car's in the water, and she's going to drown in the trunk. And then Vincent's not dead yet. And I was like, man, so what is going on? This is pretty exciting. But like, you. I had to rewind it and actually watch it twice to follow oh. everything that's happening. And loved the uh, Ghost Rider moment when Kate just driving that car on fire. Well, Ghost Rider and Just Drive Angry, right? Just driving across that bridge at the end. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I guess he knocks Vincent away, or he sort of knocks him out or whatever, and then drives the fire. Like, this is a crazy, the crazy plan. But the car is on fire, his daughter's in the trunk, and so to save her life, he's going to drive the car into the water, <laughs> where we all know that opening doors and opening trunks is the easiest thing to do easiest. when you have all the water pressure. Well, it's a good thing that Vincent brings him a, a lever, just very, very helpfully. I really wish this would have been the best, that they have like a crowbar, they have like a metal rod or something. Why could they not use his metal leg as the crowbar oh, and then the thing that they use to impale because him? Because you're not the Wouldn't genius writer of this movie. That's why. Yeah, they did it. You know, they did it in Kingsman, Joey. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler for Kingsman, but yeah, that was a great <laughs> moment where he pulls off the blade leg and throws it at the guy. That would have been great. You know, he he's hopping on one leg, uh, <laughs> half on fire, using his blade leg to try and choke Cage to death. And what I love about this is that Cage eventually gets his daughter out and then impales Vincent, and then shuts Vincent in the trunk that's already filled with water, and basically just, like, walks away, like, hey, guy, you lost. (laughs) I won. Like, I have the money now. I have my daughter back. You're in a fiery car underwater in a (laughs) trunk filled with water. You should have just given up. Well, what's cool, too, is that, like, Vincent gets uh, the ultimate sort of taste of his own medicine in this movie, where he had locked Cage's daughter in the trunk for the whole time, and now he gets locked in the trunk, and that's going to be his watery tomb. Oh, man. But you can obviously see in the shot of Cage walking away from the trunk that the trunk is not closed. No, you can't close that trunk, no. I don't think. So maybe maybe Vincent's out there. Maybe even a stolen two, it's Vincent's revenge. Dude, we've stolen. <gasps> stolen again. Stolen, stolen harder. <laughs> <laughs> I think just and, taken. And Cage and his daughter get to land, and they're rescued by the cop chopper, once again not flown by Al Cerullo. Missed opportunity there. And they land, and they get away. And this is when our cop hero, our detective hero, is just like, what are you talking about? Cage's like, I'm not going back to jail. He's like, why would you go back to jail? We all know that Vincent stole the gold. And it's just like, oh, okay, like, I guess you're just going to, you know, turn a blind eye to $10 million in stolen gold? Like, all right. But I guess Cage doesn't keep the gold. The gold is still, like, there on the dock, right? Right. No, no, most of it, most of it is gone, but then they, they, they kept one nugget. Well, yeah, I don't, think, I don't even know if they kept it intentionally, but there's like $300,000 in gold missing. It's like one little brick, right. 10 pounds of gold. That I don't know if they like just forgot it or just sort of fell out of the bag and it's in Malin's truck, but they've just been driving around with it. 
that's at the very end, they have this sort of happy moment, basically, I think, like Mike was saying, at the scene of the crime, where they're just on the docks, and Cage is about to throw this gold away, and then it looks like he does throw the gold away, and the detective's like, yeah, like I can get on with my life. And then Thank it you, turns well. out that he just threw the pine cone, and he still has the gold. So there's all all the seeds are planted for a stolen too. Oh my God, you're right. Oh, so it would be pretty up to us. <laughs> pretty low stakes if they stole his three hundred thousand dollar nugget. They're like, we're rich now. I'm like, there's two of you at three hundred thousand dollars. You're like upper middle class at best. How great if there was just one extra shot of the FBI agent putting like a snorkel on and jumping into the water. <laughs> a pine cone. So there are a few... What I found while doing or looking for Cage Connections in this movie is that there's a lot of... There seems to be a stable of actors just cycling through these straight-to-DVD movies. This guy who plays Matthews... Don't know who that is. Sounds like a cop. He's back from Seeking Justice. Edric Brown, who plays a guy called Jacobs, is back from Drive Angry. Uh, we talked about MC Gaming. I think we talked about Danny Houston, the detective, back from Leaving Las Vegas as bartender number two. Somebody who plays Rookie in this movie is back from Seeing Justice and from Bad Lieutenant. Somebody who's in the FBI surveillance van is back from Bad Lieutenant. Like, there's all these, like, little bit parts that just probably don't even have lines in this movie, but they're all back. They've all worked with Cage before. So I love that they're sort of like, hey, I've got two or three movies of Cage. Like, that's kind of cool. Every every Cage connection counts to me, <laughs> so no oh. matter how big or how small, and, and it's just great that a couple I, I hear you know a couple people back from Bad Lieutenant it seems like he's got some work for uh, the locals there, so that's he's got his good. Orleans posse, yeah. Oh, and the other the other thing I want to mention, and then I think Mike has some stuff, is that both Clive Owen and Jason Statham were previously attached to Nicolas Cage's role. So we were talking about how Cage, we're talking off mic at least, about how Cage would have been great in the Vincent role. I would have loved for Cage to be there with Jason Statham as the Cage role. Like, that would have been great. I would watch. Would watch even if I didn't have to for this. Now, Mike, uh, I think you had some Cage connections. Yeah, we covered most of them throughout the discussion, but I just kind of wanted to go through them quickly just to realize like how many there were in this one. It just kind of surprised me. We had New Orleans, The Color Purple, The Man With Two Names, as I like to call it now. Sure. That's, that's a new one I've been going to go back and look out for. Simon West, you know, returning is interesting. Joey, I think I mentioned to you last night briefly how Cage's daughter looks like a young Angelina Jolie to me. You mentioned that Simon West directed Angelina Jolie in Tomb Raider. So there was just like a weird sort of connection there that popped out you know helped me find the thread to it's something about that just like there had to be a reason she was like a look-alike we get a great scene of cage walking on top of cars again in this so we got that huh, in yeah. two previous films once in Lots sunny and then we also in wild at heart and then yeah just the fly the fire on the car towards the yeah, end just you know like drive angry and and ghost rider oh there's one other thing that i want to mention in, in that similar sort of vein and i wish we sort of counted this and if we ever go back through the movies again and do it we can definitely point this out cage has a gun pointed at his head like gun to temple in so many movies. And I think it happens again here, or there's like, there's, I know that's sort of like just kind of an action movie cliche, but I feel like lately there have been so many movies where he's just got gun to head, and that's something I think popped up in this movie as well. That's that's a new one, and also the time jumps, right? Like, it, it yeah. occurred to me in this movie how many of these films like have jumped a, a number of months, years, or whatever. And then just the last big one is, you know, watching this movie with New Orleans popping up again, it, it, you know, we talked about his action trilogy, the Sunshine trilogy, you know, his cartoon trilogy, but this he truly does have a New Orleans saga going on here. Yeah. Wild at Heart, Zondali, Sunny, Bad Lieutenant, Seeking 
justice and stolen. You know, I mean, that is quite <laughs> the a list so far. Yeah, so there isn't, right, there, I've heard of quadrilogies and such, so I think after that you just have to stick with Saga. The other big thing I don't think you mentioned is prison. I mean, there's a lot of the time jumps because of prison. He's in prison in this movie. He's in a prison in, you know, Raising Arizona. He's in prison in Con Air. He's in prison in all these different movies. Amos and Andrew. Like, prison just keeps popping up over and over and over again. I really want to uh, see what he's like in prison. Uh, watch Amos and Andrew. He's kind of a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, anything other, any last thoughts that you wanted to share about the movie? Anything that we didn't cover that you have in your notes? Uh, no, I think we had pretty much everything. Except for Fat Tuesday, everybody go crazy. Mike, anything else that we didn't talk about? Oh, wait, he hushes a woman. He hushes a He hushes Malin Ackerman. That's something. Does he? When? He, he interrupts her and stops her from talking to her. Uh, okay. Tell her all about how he's better. So rude. So rude. Um, I just say that while this isn't the best movie, like I just had a ton of fun watching this. Like every time, it was just starting to wear on me. The soundtrack would kick up, and I would just think <laughs> like this like wannabe Robert Rodriguez type of score would pop in that just doesn't belong for most of this. And I just had a lot of fun. And if you can appreciate it on that level, I think you will too. I think you get a kick out of it. There's some crazy lines. There's some very <laughs> questionable behavior, and yeah, you could do. A lot worse. In terms of like quality of movie, not necessarily fun, but do you think Seeking Justice is better or worse than this? You know, this is the weird thing. Like, I actually got into Seeking Justice as like an actual movie of its genre. Right? Yeah. Like, it was going for, you know, like somehow it clicked with me. Whereas this one just felt more fun and funny to me. You know, that they kind of missed the mark if they were even aiming. Who knows, you know, if they knew what they were shooting at. I think this movie is this movie on Netflix? Yes. Dude, this movie is on YouTube. <laughs> so I heard. There's no reason not to watch this movie. That's not that's not what I want to say. <laughs> you cannot make the excuse to watch or not watch this movie because you can't find it. Like it is everywhere. So just if you want to watch it, you know, if you want to watch Molly Ackerman kind of do things in the background maybe. Like I love her as an actress. I just wish she had more to do in here. Like I, I awesome. wish that she was more Children's Hospital, man. Yeah, everything. Just trophy wife, like everything. I love her. I guess watch this. Yeah. Uh, of course, it's short. It's, They're it's, doing it's, anything they can to recoup their thirty-three million and a half dollar hole. It's ninety-five minutes with like five or six minutes of credits. Like it's it's short. Like you can do it. You can knock it out. So I recommend watching it. Not over necessarily other New Orleans movies. Like don't watch this instead of Bad Lieutenant. But watch this in addition to it. Like it's fun. Exactly the amount of time that we've been talking. <gasps> That's a little behind the scenes, because this is going to be a lot shorter of an episode. We talked about a lot of things that I did not record. Uh, so, Zach, thank you for showing up. Thank you for coming back. I don't know if you're... Are you on the docket for any more? Or is this your last not, one for now? Are there even any more movies? There are a couple more. We can we can sort of touch on them. A couple of his more recent ones are still available, so right, well, maybe we'll be back in touch. Maybe back. Zach will be back. Maybe. The Zach attack. Uh, if nothing else, uh, I'll see you for uh, for Cruise Club. Yes. We, we don't know what's going to come next. We have a lot of ideas floating around, but it's going to be exciting no matter what we do. So thank you for, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. For all things Cage, you can go to cageclub.me. You can read our reviews, find past podcasts, follow us on Twitter, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. All things Cage at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that's Zach Dazan, and we'll see you next time on Cage Club. Mm-hmm.